Hello and welcome to the Pondering Scripture Podcast, where we'll open God's Word and let Him guide our lives. I'm your host, Jeremiah Cox. Welcome back to Pondering Scripture Podcast, and we continue this week our study of becoming like a little child as we're in between James chapter 4 and James chapter 5. In Matthew, the 18th chapter, Jesus answered his disciples when they came to him, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. We noted that the very context shows the primary teaching principle Jesus is giving to the disciples. What he's trying to get them to understand is the need for humility, one at the very outset of the entrance to the kingdom of God, but then once they are in the kingdom of God, even though they as the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 describes as being the foundation, Christ the cornerstone, the apostles and prophets, the foundation of that kingdom that is erected by God in Christ Jesus. Even though they'd be of such significance, the greatest is anyone who becomes like a little child and is humble. And so the primary point that Jesus points out in Matthew 18 is the quality and virtue of humility. If we're to enter in the kingdom, we've got to have an understanding of our spiritual bankruptcy and need, therefore, of forgiveness and direction in the way of God. And that humility not only is necessary for us to even come into a relationship with God, but it's necessary for that relationship to be sustained. And it's necessary for that relationship with those who have a relationship with God to be healthy and sustained as members of the family of God. But I'd suggest to you in Matthew, the 18th chapter, there's another point of consideration that Jesus makes in addition to humility. You know, his consideration of humility was needed because of the disciples' pride that they evidently displayed in Matthew 18 and their misunderstanding of the kingdom. But you know, at the seat of all sin is pride. Pride itself is a sin, but at the uh, seat of all sin is pride because what sin is is looking to ourselves and not to God. And if it's a sin against those of our, our own family, spiritually speaking, or just anyone in the world who is likewise a part of creation and is therefore our neighbor, then it's still placing self before others. And so at the seat of all sin is pride, which is why in James 4, James calls his readers to humility so they can get out of that sinfulness and the friendliness they had with the world. But you know, therefore, since humility is needed to overcome sin and pride is at the seat of all sin, then to call the call to be as children in humility would also be a call to purity. And Jesus kind of touches on that. In verse 5, he says, Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And Jesus, as we know, is without sin. 
But he goes on to say in verse 6 that whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Children are innocent, hence the admonition against causing them to sin. And I understand that Jesus is talking in verses 6 and 7 about spiritual children, but the thought requires consistency and application. And so, literal children are pure. And what better way of describing those who have just been cleansed in the blood of Christ as being pure? And woe to the one who brings a stumbling block before them to offend them and cause them to sin. In Matthew 19 and verse 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. You gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven through the new birth of baptism and therefore the cleansing of sins to produce a new life free from sin in Christ Jesus. And so certainly children are like those who are entering into the kingdom of such is the kingdom because of their purity. And so I think about even my own daughter, and I see her just sitting there, and and she's sucking on a pacifier, or she's just wandering around with her little eyes, and she takes a little sigh, and maybe she gives a yawn, and then she falls to sleep in my arms. And I can't help but to think of her purity. There's no way that there's a thought in her mind of impurity. She's never done anything in her life of two weeks that is impure. She is perfect before God, that is, without sin. She can think no wrong or do no wrong. She's incapable of it at this time, but she's so pure. And what better way of describing how we're to be before God in His kingdom and before each other than by looking to a little child? We need to be pure, brethren. And you really think of it in a more intimate way when you have children or you have little children in your life, whatever that may be. When you think of purity on that level, certainly it's it's easy to think of it in regard to God. In Him is light and no darkness at all. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. The Holy Spirit being in the divine nature, He has not sinned and cannot sin, can't tempt anyone to sin, as James 1 says. But sometimes we let ourselves off the hook saying, well, certainly God is pure and without sin, so it's impossible for us to be perfect like Him. So think about it in regard to little children, even though that's certainly what God calls us to, to be pure as He is pure. Think about how pure they are. We're called to that. That's a total separation from sin. That's a total separation from selfishness and self-pursuit. We're called to be pure. We're not to be those who would vouch for any sinful activity and try to suggest such is okay because we're to be like little children who are pure. In 1 John 3 and verse 2, the apostle writes, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now notice verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. 
And so we're the children of God, and the children of God are given the inheritance of being in the image of Christ. And that image is of total purity. And you know what? We use that word pure from time to time, and then we throw in a word like I just did, total purity. But that's really not needed because purity in and of itself is a word of totality. When you have gold, and it's pure gold, that means it is totally without contaminants. It is pure. And so if we're to be pure as Christ is pure, that is a concept of totality. There is no sin. There is no unrighteousness. That's what we're to be looking forward to and working toward. Being blameless, being without sin, being righteous. In Romans 16 and verse 19, Paul says, Your obedience has become known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. He wants us to have the knowledge and the ability to apply that knowledge in what is good. That requires a knowledge of His Word. But while we're to have that knowledge of God's Word, the opposite must be true. We're to not have the kind of knowledge of experience in sinful matters. Simple concerning evil. The word simple is from the Greek word akarios, and it means unmixed, with absence of foreign mixture. It's a compound word with the A negative and a word which means to mix. And so it's it's a purity. There are no contaminants. We're simple concerning evil, which means we are innocent. You know, sometimes people make fun of it in that way. Those in the world, they'll hear a Christian express their ignorance on a certain worldly matter. They've never heard of maybe that phrase before or that description before of some unlawful thing like Ephesians 5 says that's even shameful to speak of. And people laugh at Christians like that. I've, I've been one who has been laughed at because of that, and I, I don't know of something they're talking about because it's negative. I certainly remember things like that in high school where they're talking about something that is so shameful, but I've never really heard of what they're saying before. I don't know exactly what they're talking about using the slang terms and such, and they laugh at me. But really, that's what God wants us to be, simple concerning evil. There are things that we certainly have to know about, but we're not experts in evil character. We're not experts in evil participation. We're simple concerning evil. We're wise concerning good. We're pure like children. We're innocent. That's what we should strive for. Matthew 5 and verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If we aren't pure, there's no chance in us being in heaven with God for eternity. He is light and in him is no darkness at all. Rather, he calls us to a pure life. Or as Peter mentions, as he who called you is holy, 1 Peter 1.15, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. That is complete separation from all sinfulness and worldliness. You know, it's interesting to me, and I've been guilty of this as well, of how we can be watching something on TV. Maybe it's a movie or just a TV show, whatever it may be. And a child walks in the room, and we turn it off. Or we say, go back to where you were. Go back to that room because you're too young to see this, or you're too young to hear this. And it's it's interesting to me in 
the hypocrisy of that concept. And again, I've been guilty of this, and it's something that I need to work on. If that's something that a child shouldn't be hearing or seeing, then is it something I should be hearing or seeing as a child of God? If we're honest with ourselves, the answer is a simple no. We should be simple concerning evil. We should be holy. We should be completely separate. So let's become like little children in purity. But you know, while humility and purity are certainly things pointed out in Matthew chapter 18 about children when Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, there are qualities of children still that we can learn from in detail furthering from what Jesus mentioned in Matthew 18. And one of the qualities of children that we can learn from and adapt to is love, unconditional love. That's really one of the many things that makes them vulnerable. You think about how we warn children, especially as they get older, about not talking to strangers. And if you if you have someone come up to you who you don't know and and all of that, don't trust them. Don't don't have that kind of thought about them. And really it's easy for little children to to love just about anyone. Some people, some children are a little slower to warming up to, to strangers. Maybe it's someone that is a family friend, but they've never met before, and they're a little slow to warm up, but it doesn't really take long, usually, for a child to start expressing love towards someone they barely even know. And we need to start loving like children. Consider the command mentioned by Paul in Romans 13 and verse 8, after he mentioned in the previous context about our submission to governing authorities, and we need to render, therefore, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. But then he says in verse 8, owe no one anything. So you need to pay your taxes, owe no one anything, except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, not murder, shall not steal, not bear false witness, you not, shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Owe no one anything except to love one another. This is something we need to understand. And we need to be so freely giving of that love to anyone and everyone as children are. We are indebted to each other to love each other. And you know, that's even true with regard to our enemies. That's a very difficult thing for us to do, but we're called to it. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. It says in verse 46, If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the Greek word teleos, and he's saying you shall be complete. God doesn't just love his children. God loves the whole world. That does not mean that the whole world is accepted before God. Until they meet his conditions, they won't be accepted before God. But... God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16, God loves the world. And that includes our enemies. And if our love is to be complete or perfect, teleos, we need to not just love each other as brethren, 
We need to love even our enemies. We express that not through some kind of affection that would be very difficult for us to get to as they're our enemies, but we do that through service and prayer and teaching the gospel. But how much more true is it then, if we're even to love our enemies, that we should love our brethren? And you know, something we can learn about children is that the love they have for their family, especially their parents, is not just unconditional, but it's unconditional because it's just natural. When they are born and they lay their eyes on their parents and they're held in their mother's warm embrace, instant, instant connection and love. And you know, that's really what it should be with being born into the family of God. And I think that's what we read here in 1 Peter 1, verse 22, when Peter writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Notice the phrase. You have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. That word in is the Greek word ice, and it means to or in to. And so what he's saying is that when we obeyed the truth through the Spirit, we did that to or into the sincere love of the brethren. And then he says, so love one another fervently with a pure heart. When you were added to the body of Christ, you were added to the responsibility to love those who were added to the body of Christ as you were. We're born into or unto the love of the brethren. It should be a natural thing when it comes down to our recognition of the fellowship we enjoy with them in Christ Jesus. They were in sin and were forgiven of that sin by the blood of Christ, added to his body. We were in sin and forgiven of that sin by the blood of Christ, added to his body. And if that's true, and we understand the humility that we talked about before and the purity that we're given through the blood of Christ— then what comes next is love. And that call to love is certainly necessary because there's a danger that Satan throws in there in the mix in temptation to jeopardize that love and therefore cause a lot of heartache and turmoil in the body. In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul gave that warning. He said, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you become consumed by one another. We need to love each other, brethren. Albert Barnes comments on that verse and says, The readiest way to destroy the spirituality of a church and to annihilate the influence of religion is to excite a spirit of contention. Brethren, we're certainly not at war with one another, but we're not even in competition against one another. We're on the same team, in the same family. And we're not to quarrel about matters of liberty. That's the context of Galatians 5. We're not to be at each other's throats, but we're to be understanding, we're to be yielding, we're to be humble, we're to love. In Colossians 3 and verse 14 Paul says, Above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. If we are to be together in the body in harmony, 
and to be exhibiting everything that we're supposed to be exhibiting toward one another in our relationships. As Romans 13 said, all of these matters which pertain our, to our relationship to each other in Christ Jesus, if we're to be doing all of those things, love is going to accomplish it. How easy is it for a child to love someone? How easy is it for a child to express their love and care for their parents and another? We need to have that disposition as a child, and we need to love each other. It needs to come easy, and when it's not easy, we need to work on it until it becomes easier, and we can love each other without even thinking. We're going to continue this study of being like a little child in our next week's episode. I certainly hope that this break from James 4 is refreshing and beneficial to you as we consider this topic briefly, and I hope that you Have a blessed rest of your week. And again, I appreciate you listening in on this podcast. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pondering Scripture. It may be that you have some questions or comments. If so, don't hesitate to email me at jeremiahstancox at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day.